everybody, I'm John Miller, and once again, you are here for Everybody Trades. And you know what? Something hit me today that I found kind of interesting that probably at first glance most people will think is utter insanity, but here it goes. It turns out that Donald Trump and Ilhan Omar may have more in common than they think, or at least one thing very important, and that's that Donald Trump, in my humble opinion, has made a career, at least a political career, out of saying things that the political establishment in Washington and the media establishment, also in Washington, would say are verboten, would say are taboo, would say is something that cannot be said, is literally unacceptable to be said in polite Washington circles. So, for instance, obviously, the most famously, when Trump came down the escalator at Trump Tower in 2015 to officially announce his candidacy, he reeled off a bunch of things about immigrants that many people were offended by. And many people said, oh, gee, maybe he's actually getting at something here, which was as inelegantly as Donald Trump may have put it by saying, oh, they're sending rapists over and this sort of thing. His whole point was that actually struck a chord with people, no matter what your position on immigration is. You have to admit that when it came to the immigration topic, Donald Trump stuck, struck a chord with people. Basically, he was the only person in all of Washington, and this includes Republicans and Democrats, most importantly Republicans in this case. This was a topic that was not brought up, and it's a topic that affects people who voted for Donald Trump for various different reasons. And again, the whole point here is Trump brought up something verboten in Washington. Well, guess what? Representative Ilhan Omar did something recently as well. You see, she's getting a lot of crap for it, too. Basically, Ms. Omar started questioning the relationship between the United States government and Israel. Essentially, that's what she did. But a lot of people jumped on one of her original comments of about this particular topic. See, what she was saying is, in a point of just offhandedly, she was referring to something on Twitter about the Israel-United States relationship, and she put, it's all about the Benjamins with a music emoji next to it. In other words, she was quoting a popular... Puff Daddy song from 20 years ago called It's All About the Benjamins. Well, basically what she was saying, at least what I thought she was saying, or at least one could interpret it as she was saying, really, it's about money. That's why, not just about money, but power is what, it's, is what the United States-Israel relationship is really about. Now, you can question that. If, again, you can have a disagreement, a, a hard disagreement with that if you like. Now, in my opinion, all foreign interests, all foreign policy interests that the United States delves into, that D.C. delves into, they're always about money, in my humble opinion. Find me, find me an example of where interests, which is the phrase that's always bandied about in foreign policy. Yes, United States interests. Find me one example where that's not about the United States it's power and it's control of money, essentially. And, of course, power is really all about money and control. That's what it's really about. Central control. 
of political power, and indeed in the United States, a central control of the world's very reserve currency, which is the dollar bill. It's a massive thing that we set up in the wake of World War II, and Israel was set up in that, in that time frame as well. Now, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar apologized for her original It's All About the Benjamins tweet because a lot of people, as you might expect, jumped on that as a anti-Semitic remark, saying that, oh my goodness, you can't say, you can't make a reference to money when it comes to Israel and all this stuff. And I'll be completely frank, I don't have the best read on who Ilhan Omar is as a person. She's a freshman congressman, congresswoman, representative, whatever you want to say. And she's only been in office for, what, two, three months or something? So I don't have the greatest read on exactly who she is as a person, and I wasn't able to do a deep dive into this 37-year-old woman's history. But here's what I will say. Her next response, which has drawn even more ire than the all about the Benjamins thing, from what I can tell, was even more revealing of the Washington establishment and how they view foreign policy in general. You see, there's this old phrase that goes back a long time, at least as long as I live, certainly farther than that, and it's this. Politics stops at the water's edge. And there's, there's this idea that Republicans and Democrats, yeah, we can argue all day about domestic policy and taxes and subsidies and blah, 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 but by golly, when we're under attack, when it comes to, or not even if we're li- literally under attack at the moment, but if there are dangerous entities in the world, and by the way, there always are, and as far as I can tell, there probably always will be, as long as there's danger in the world, as long as there are other powerful forces other than the United States government that could potentially do anyone on this planet harm, but especially when it aligns with, yes, here it is, United States interests, then we're going to use our power to do everything we can to get the outcome that the United States desires. And most importantly, if you disagree with that notion, well, you're going to be shunned out of popular society, certainly out of D.C. society. And a person like Donald Trump, who constantly says things that are outside of the D.C. establishment and what polite D.C. rhetoric is supposed to be, well, you see the result there. He's constantly being dr- trying to be drummed out of office. Well, again, like Donald Trump, what has now happened to Ilhan Omar? See, again, if politics ends at the water's edge, well, certainly Israel is past the water's edge. And it's not just Republicans who are jumping on Omar's comments. Far from it. No, her own Democrats are the ones who are, who are really on her case at the moment. In fact, it was California Democrat Congressman Juan Vargas who tweeted out, It is disturbing that Representative Omar continues to perpetuate hurtful anti-Semitic stereotypes that that misrepresent our Jewish community. Now, here's the money sentence. Additionally, questioning support for the U.S.-Israel relationship is unacceptable. Let me read that again. A Democrat from California said the following. Additionally, questioning support for the U.S.-Israel relationship is unacceptable. 
Now, if that's not a totalitarian impulse, I'm not really sure what is. See, I'm all for you criticizing, ridiculing, doing whatever you want to somebody who says something that you're against, something that you don't believe, and especially especially if that thing is aggressive. But in this case, when you're talking about somebody's speech, which by definition, somebody speaking in a particularly political sense, which is protected by the First Amendment, I might add, that cannot be construed as aggression. So to say that questioning support for the U.S.-Israel relationship is unacceptable, now if that's not a frightening, again, chilling to speech, totalitarian type impulse, I'm not really sure what is. It's really shocking to see that type of thing from what used to be known as the liberal party, the liberal ostensibly for free speech party, right? See, this used to be the party that was anti-McCarthyism and anti the Vietnam rhetoric of, oh, anybody who, again, questioned the politics outside of the water's edge was branded a communist or a socialist or any of this type of thing. Now, obviously, if you know me, I'm no fan of communism or socialism, but just throwing out labels and attacks on things that are just meant to simply shut your opponent up and not to actually parry any sort of debate with a good point or to win anybody else's, to win in the arena of ideas. See, that's what we should do. We should win in the arena of ideas because I truly believe this. Call me a Pollyanna if you will, but I really believe that truth does win out in the in the arena of ideas in the long run if it is put out unapologetically. I think Omar made a made a mistake. If she really wasn't trying to trying to invoke some Jewish stereotype or whatever, then she should have never apologized for the it's all about the Benjamins remark. And to be fair, there are tweets out there that are really easy to find from Omar criticizing the Saudi Arabian government too. Are they Jewish? No, they are not. Far from it. So this idea that it's all just this simple, oh, well, anytime a person of Muslim faith or anybody, it doesn't even, honestly, in this case, the Muslim thing is kind of a convenient, I would say, imagery for certain people to use of, oh, look, she's anti-Semitic. That's just an easy one, isn't it? The problem is, what about people who aren't Muslim? What about what about actual Jewish people? Because you can find them too. Oh, yes, you can. You can find real Jewish people who are also questioning the Israel-U.S. relationship. But apparently that's unacceptable even if you are Jewish. I guess you're a self-hating Jew if you question the relationship. And frankly, without getting too bogged down in the specifics of just Israel in general, because I'm much more interested in the general idea that Washington foreign policy is not to be questioned. And any questioning of it is deemed unacceptable by both sides of the aisle, by both major political parties in Washington. If that doesn't send a little bit of fright into you, then I think you need to learn more about the dangers of political power. And what is political power? Well, it's the legal right for somebody to use aggression and force against somebody who's done nothing wrong. That's simply what political power is. And not only that, 
toward the end of the 1800s when Teddy Roosevelt decided that, you know what, the United States Navy and the Great White Fleet should essentially be able to go wherever it wants and defend trade throughout the world and into the Middle East, for instance. Well, that whole idea has ruffled a lot of feathers. And once the United States government started dipping its toes into the Middle East, it then found itself entangled in what some people would call the 1,000 Years War, which is essentially just a continuation of the Crusades, the great battle between the European Christians, for all intents and purposes, and the Muslims to the Middle East and the South and what have you. But while the United States was out of that conflict for more than a century, Roosevelt and his infinite non-wisdom managed to thrust all of us into that conflict, and we remain there to this day. And then we helped the Jews get into it as well by thrusting Israel into the middle of that in a political sense. Now again, am I trying to say, oh, the Jews get what they deserve? No, I'm not against Jewish people. Please stop being so simplistic and reductive. That's the whole point of this podcast, is that yes, I can say, gee, Perhaps the United States, in, co- in concert with the Israeli government, doing various aggressive things to non-aggressive people, or just, can we have a debate? Can we have a political debate? Can we have an actual debate without it turning into McCarthyism? Or without it turning into, oh, you're a socialist, oh, you're a commie. Or on the other side, hey, when we have... The the left who likes to talk about having an honest debate about race in this country, for instance, well, as soon as you say something that is not on the approved list of things that you can talk about, well, you're branded a racist, you're branded a bigot, and this, that, and what have you. And again, it's all the point of it is, is not to be an accurate label, it's to get you to shut up. It's to scare you. It's to get you to be afraid that the mob is going to come after you in some way whether physically or just emotionally, professionally, whatever it might be, monetarily, all the above. And again, think about what I just said. We got in the middle of the thousand years war, essentially 800, 900 years into it. See, one thing about Americans that's really interesting is when it comes to grudges, we actually have a really short memory for the most part. Most of us think that things that happened 50 years ago, 100 years ago, ah, get over it. We're all cool now, right? We've all, we're all Americans. Everything's cool. I, I realize that there are exceptions to this, but compared to the rest of the world, you'd be amazed at how grudge-heavy the rest of the world can be, particularly in the Middle East, when grudges can go back again a 1,000 years at least. See, it's difficult for Americans to comprehend of this, but that's, that's often the way it is in the Middle East and other parts of the world. So what does this mean for us? It means that we've gotten into a battle. We've wedged ourselves into the middle, into a middle of a battle of which we have absolutely no context of what's really happening. And our supposed overlords, our supposed geniuses in Washington keep messing this up. You see, their whole idea is it's, it's a white hat and black hat world where we've got the good guys against the bad guys. But unfortunately, 
we keep messing that up and we keep changing the hats. See, at one point we have the white hat, the good guy hat. See, in 1983, when Donald Rumsfeld was shaking hands with Saddam Hussein famously, we were cool with Saddam. Because previously, when the Brits had divided Iraq into this random area next to Iran, well, basically they forced three competing religions, tribes, if you will, cultures of people, essentially the the Shias, the Sunnis, and the Kurds. They were all forced to live together. And it turns out those people didn't necessarily get along very well, to put it a very nice way. But... It also turned out that Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein, being the maniac that he was, was able to scare them all into relatively being on good behavior, at least as far as the United States was concerned. At least there wasn't actual battling happening in Iraq for a long time. That was what we considered a win. But then, suddenly, Saddam wanted to go into Kuwait and do some things that we didn't like, and suddenly... The United States government said, oh, wait, he's a bad guy now. Yeah, we'll put the black hat on him. So this guy who we've been propping up, funding, giving weaponry, et cetera, et cetera, well, now he's the bad guy. And so now we're going to fund and arm these other people over here. But then, of course, just wait a few years from now, we're going to need to fight them too. It's really, truly insane. The whole thing we're doing is truly insane. Because guess what? You know what's happening now? You've got Al-Qaeda, right? That was, that was, uh, who, who's the 9-11 guy? Osama bin Laden, thank you. Osama bin Laden, that was his crew, right? They're the worst people of all time. We hate them. Until ISIS came along, and then suddenly ISIS, they were the worst people of all time. Well, here's one thing. The one thing that ISIS and Al-Qaeda has is they hate us. Because at first glance, while you might think that ISIS and Al-Qaeda have a lot of things in common. Believe you me, if suddenly the United States forces, the forces of the West in general, were not in the areas of like Syria, Yemen, etc., 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 suddenly those people would start fighting each other. Because if you really look at the propaganda that ISIS puts out in its newspaper, for instance, no, they hate Al-Qaeda. They think they're in with the West, basically. They think... <laughs> So, yeah, they'll they'll make peace with their common with with people that they hate in order to fight a common enemy. That's something that people that the Al-Qaeda's and the ISIS's of the world will do. They will absolutely do that in order to get the West out of their land. So my contention is if you have two groups of people who are objectively awful and objectively are, I guess, your enemies, well, then just let them, let them blow each other up. Just let them fight each other. But America has a, really pro- has a problem doing that, seemingly. We can't just let an old feud from literally hundreds of years before America was even founded. Yes, no, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, that's, that's one of the most grandiose, arrogant things I've ever heard in my entire life. That we're going to take a feud that's been happening for hundreds of years, possibly even thousands, and go, yep, we're going to solve this. Well, you know what? One of the big problems with that is, you know, America used to be founded on the idea 
of a natural law, on the idea that there was a, a law greater than what human beings could create. But what we've gone to now is essentially we do have, we have political law instead of natural law, meaning that we have a bunch of people that decide by a majority or a representative majority that here's what's going to happen. Well, Muslims are much closer as a whole, and I'm talking very generally here, but your general Muslim population, and this, this includes Sunnis, Shias, the whole bit, they believe that right and wrong and law comes from God. They don't believe that it comes from man, from certainly not from a Western man like me or you or Donald Trump or Chuck Sumer or Nancy Pelosi or any of those people. They're, they're never going to get down with a majority rule political law. That's just not their society. That's not their culture. And us trying to force that upon them is, is again, complete folly and something that we should absolutely stop this instant. How more obvious could it be? How long have we been in Iraq now? Has it been 16 years? Because it's been over 18 in Afghanistan now. The first soldier to have not been born when 9-11 happened is now on the ground. His boots are on the ground in Afghanistan. People, what are we doing? See, that's what bothers me about the whole Ilhan Omar thing. Just to wrap this up, once again, it's not that I'm the biggest Ilhan Omar fan. You know, again, I'm not the biggest expert on what her politics are although as a freshman 37 year old democrat i can make some inferences and i have but that's not the point of this the point is is she said something that was branded as anti-semitic as racist essentially which in 2019 when you call somebody a racist you call them a bigot that's the ultimate shut up card and i'm sick of it i'm sick of the shut up cards debate me don't tell me to shut up and you know what? I'll say the same thing to Ilhan Omar, the people who don't like what she said or on anything she said. I'm sure there are plenty of things that Ilhan Omar would say about, say, I don't know, minimum wage to take, a, take an example. I'm sure I would disagree with her on that and tax rates and all that. But I would never just tell her, oh, shut up. If you say that, you're an anti-Semite. That would be absurd. So anyway... I hope this all made sense. It was kind of a thrown-together thing at the last minute, but hope you enjoyed it. And once again, shut up is not a debate. That's not an argument. That's my main point I want, to hear to, I want you to all hear today. And when somebody, when the, an entire establishment of people is not debating something, when 90% of the people in any one culture, again, in any establishment, in any group, is taking one side of an argument and not actually making an argument, merely telling you that the other side can't say what they're saying, that makes me really want to listen to the other side. So just in general, that's not a good strategy in terms of actually winning, winning over anybody, right? See, I thought politics, in theory, it's supposed to be about, again, winning people over in the arena of ideas, but too often now, we just want to beat them in the arena of force, in the arena of intimidation. And while certainly Donald Trump has shown you don't have to be intimidated by these people and you can succeed, perhaps Ilhan Omar is taking a bit of his advice or a bit of his example in her own way. 
I don't know. It's going to be interesting. All I know is if somebody tells me to apologize for this particular episode, I'm going to tell you where to shove it. And with that, it's been another episode of Everybody Trades. Thanks for joining me. Love you guys. Have a good one.